Registry Matters is an independent production. The opinions and ideas here are that of the host and do not reflect the opinions of any other organization. If you have problems with these thoughts, FYP. Recording live from FYP Studios East and West, transmitting across the internet. This is episode 289, almost almost your age, Larry, of Registry Matters. How are you this evening? Is it cold over there or what? No, it warmed up today. It's a balmy 52 degrees. 52? Holy crap. And then um, have you taught your furnace a lesson yet? Uh, it has not responded favorably so far. <laughs> Make sure that you go over to YouTube and press like and subscribe and notification bell. Leave a five-star review over on uh, your favorite podcast app, iTunes, or whatever they call it these days. Wherever you want to, leaving a review would be fantastic, especially if it's a nice one. Uh, and anyway, so tell me what we're doing this evening. Well, we have a special guest that practices law in the state of California and elsewhere, possibly. And the purpose of having this guest for a segment, we're going to be doing on what it's like when you talk to the police and whether that works to your advantage or not. We've actually done this several times, even more recently. We, we've done episodes, but some people prefer to hear it from a lawyer. So we have one here. Some of our critics do not even approve of us telling people not to talk to the police. So we also have a case from Alabama that was decided in our favor from the federal court, Middle District of Alabama. And then we are going to discuss that case in a little bit of detail. We have a listener question submitted. And I think that's about it because this don't talk to police is probably going to take the biggest part of this episode. You've even got some uh, audio clips you're going to play, I think. Even video ones. Um, wait, can you can you just clarify that you said something positive from Alabama? Well, I don't know that the Alabama population would think of it that way. But <laughs> I guess it is about perspective, huh? <laughs> but in terms of uh, our movement, our case was won in U.S. District Court in Alabama. And I don't know who appointed the judge. I didn't do that research. I know that's your, your fixation to know who appointed them, but I'm not sure which uh, judge, which president appointed this judge. I see. All right. Well, um, we really appreciate that you can join us this afternoon. This is uh, Chance Oberstein. And for those of you who may not know him, he is a criminal attorney representing clients throughout California. Since starting his practice, he has handled hundreds of cases involving misdemeanor and felony crimes at the state and federal level. Today, his primary focus is sex crimes and post-conviction relief. Mr. Oberstein is highly trained in, in this complex area of the law and has had many years of experience negotiating with prosecutors, litigating in court, and obtaining exceptional case outcomes, as well as he is the former president of the Alliance for, uh, the Alliance for Constitutional Sexual Offense Laws. Welcome to Registry Matters Chance. How are you tonight? I'm doing very well. Thank you for inviting me on. Uh, I no, appreciate it very much. Uh, so first out of the gate, we are going to talk about this situation of not talking to the police would you do me could you just kind of speak off the cuff and give me just a quick overview of why you wouldn't want to talk to the police because they're there to help you right that's what my kid has been taught is the police they're there to help oh, you they're definitely there to help you all right well let me give you six reasons why you should not talk to the police and uh you know we'll, we'll start at number one Very uh, good. talk okay talking to the police never helps you uh, no matter how comfortable they may make you feel or how intelligent you think you are, denying the offense or trying to be of some help will only hurt you. For instance, 
and for example, showing the police where your acquaintance hid his stash before he exited your house to talk to the police about the stolen vehicle he arrived in. You know, what do you think's going to happen? I, I do know that in prison, snitches get stitches. So uh, you don't want to snitch. Yeah, that doesn't go for what happens outside of those prison gates. <laughs> Please continue. Okay. So number two, even if you think you're guilty, you should never talk to the police. A confession is never a good idea. Retain an attorney and let them handle it. They may be able to substantially diminish your liability or get rid of it altogether. For example, in a he, shit, in he said, she said situation, an attorney might point out the lack of forensic or corroborating evidence that you may be unaware of at the time. Just continue from there. I could, I could come up with snarky things to say. Okay, good. Absent the snark, let's move on to reason three. Even if you're innocent, getting caught up in small lies to help yourself will destroy your credibility. Most people, and I mean most people, are totally rattled when talking to the police and tend to embellish a little uh, by telling little white lies to distance themselves from the alleged crime. These inconsistencies can destroy your credibility and put you at risk of being processed through the criminal justice system anyways. And as we all know, you know, it is the processing that's the punishment. Hey, so, so Larry, do you remember, God, was it a year ago, year and a half ago that we did that whole thing with the law professor? I do. We I, played, we played uh, a, a college professor lecturing people about classes about not speaking to the police. But one of the things, he wove this intricate story about somebody embellishing this tiny little piece of the story and how then the police just turned that all the way up. They just ramped that all the way up into a big accelerant to apply a lot of pressure to you to get oh. you to admit to potentially something that you didn't do. Well, well, Chance, I have a question here. I hear this all the time. If you don't have anything to hide, yep, why yep, would yep. you not talk to the police? I mean, I've got nothing to hide. Yep. Well, because the police may cherry pick your statement. You know, they might include things <laughs> that you segue. didn't say or you didn't or, or, or leave out things you did say in their final report because they do not always recall your statement with 100% accuracy. That depends on their motivation and personal bias with regard to you, your background, and what's happened. Their report is then submitted to a DA for review and filing. The bottom line is you might find yourself charged based on the officer's interpretation of what you said rather than the truth of your statement. And that's your answer, Larry. Wait, so uh, does, your, does your attorney help protect you from that? Well, if you, if you remain silent, yeah. You know, that, then, then, then your attorney takes control and whatever, whatever information is exchanged is filtered through somebody who has the experience to counsel you and appropriately, appropriately advocate on your behalf. Because uh, the, um, the way that I'm thinking about it, you don't have access necessarily to the recordings that they're making in this interrogation room. So your attorney would be at, not, not an unbiased party, at least somebody in your corner that can help recall what you did or did not say. Well, always, always. But if you say it to begin with, then you're married to whatever you say. And, yeah. you know, what do you do then? I mean, then you're stuck like Chuck with what you have. <laughs> So sure, sure, sure. Let me let me launch into this a little bit deeper, Chance. Okay, so my observation from 20 plus years of experience that doesn't seem to count for anything. 
there are people who do not know the elements of a crime, and that's what the lawyer either knows or will research for you. And Florida, for example, unless it's been declared unconstitutional, has a strict liability drug possession statute, meaning that if it's in your vehicle, your teenage son or your nephew or somebody could have thrown it in your vehicle. Well, the adult has no thought about it because they didn't know it was there, theoretically. And they get an investigation from the police, and the the person is like your son who believes that the police are there to help and they just want to clear it up. And the person admits to the police it's their car. And yes, they took, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they've owned the car consist uh, consistently for some period of time. And no, they didn't lend it to anyone else. And all of a sudden, the police have got you, you've admitted to a strict liability offense, meaning that just simply that you had possession without knowledge of your possession, you've committed that crime in the state of Florida. Well, if you didn't mention anything to the police about owning the car, yes, they would possibly figure out it was registered in your name, but they wouldn't have your admission that you're the only one who had driven it for the last six months. They wouldn't have all these things that you would think are innocuous because you don't know that Florida has a strict liability offense that could put you in prison. You just can wouldn't you, have any Can one of you explain this. strict liability, please? I'll let Chance explain it. I'm not qualified. Well... <laughs> <laughs> liability is 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 that there is no defensible position. You, you know, if if it is what it is, you're liable for it. But as Larry points out, and it's very true, that you know most of the time you you help make the case when you make the statement. Uh, the statement itself is made with unpredict unpredictable consequences because you really don't understand uh, essentially. Uh, what what the elements of the charge are, or what the what what the officers are looking for, because often it's hidden in between the questions they're asking you, and so you know in this case it's dominion and, and control of all things within that space, and you know by not making a statement it makes that an issue of itself, and therefore something that can be handled by your attorney rather than you making that statement and being liable strictly for that offense. Well, and then Chance, what would happen in that scenario? Let's play a little bit further. Suppose uh, Grandma did not know that the car had been utilized. Maybe she had had uh, a grandson house it for her, and she didn't know that he had figured out where the keys were, and that he'd been using the car for some period of time, unbeknownst to her, while she was going away on the house sitting. She wouldn't have known the contraband that was in the car, and she's already told the police that no one has driven that car but her. That's correct. And even though, and, and even if you left a gun under the floor mat, just in the corner of the car, that, would, uh, that wouldn't bode well either, would it? So, so her credibility has already sunk. And uh, so now in the eyes of the court system, not necessarily per se, but with the law, the, with the law enforcement, once you go down that path, they say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute now. We got a problem with what you said here. And then you're trying to back, backpedal, dig yourself out of the mess you made by talking to the police. And somehow other people don't connect those dots. But anyway, I didn't mean to steal your segment. Go ahead, Chance. No, no, you didn't. You didn't actually improve it. And I think this is a good discussion. Well, let's move on to number five anyway, because I think it's part and parcel with what we're saying. Uh, the police lack authority to negotiate a better deal for you or obtain leniency for your cooperation. And often they say that, but they lack total authority to do that. They are perfectly comfortable lying to you to get what they're looking for. They may promise you the moon, but they'll never deliver it because they simply can't. However, they can, they, you know, however, they look upon these efforts as a very valuable investigative technique, which will leave them in a position to clear the case 
at your expense. And, and Chance, explain what to clear the case means, because when I tell people the officers are trying to clear cases, that is apparently some complicated mumbo jumbo. Clearing the case yeah. means what? Yeah, no, clear the case just means close it up. It's done. No more investigation. We've we've found what we were looking for, and we move into the next position, which is prosecution. We've already we've we've closed our investigation. We're done. That's what clearing the case is. Okay, now I'm going to get on the political side of this because again, this is your segment. But on the political side of this, for the voters out there who pay the taxes to support law enforcement, clearance rates are very important from a political angle. If your police department is taking too long and you're only solving 37% of serious crimes, then that police chief and that city council and that mayor are going to be under intense scrutiny. So folks, there are political pressures in play to solve and close cases because the police can wash their hands up and they can say, well, we can't help it that the courts are all clogged up, that the DA is not prosecuting these cases, but we've cleared and solved 84% of our serious crimes. And if they were trying to be the buddy-buddy to you and get the best possible outcome for you, they would leave cases open until they have more information. But they're pushing closure because that is a political agenda that's in play for law enforcement. Okay, so sorry about that. Let's keep going. No, that's correct, Larry. And it's not just, it's not just political. It, it, it runs into dollars uh, and it runs into efficiency. You know, it's, 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 making, it's making the agency look good. It, it's, it's good for you know, your overall budget and asking for more money. There's a lot of reasons why there's pressure to close the case. And if, and if they can do it on your dime, then, you know, you're the one holding the bag. So last and, but not least, number six, your statements can and will be used against you. One mistake can cost you your freedom. Even an innocent statement can conflict with other witnesses, with what other witnesses might say, as Larry's already mentioned, and that may cast doubt on your innocence or be used to attack or destroy your testimony at trial. Always assert your right to remain silent. Don't talk to police. There's no downside to remaining silent. Let me repeat that. There's no downside to remaining silent. The better choice is to let an experienced counsel advise you appropriately and advocate on your behalf. Is that true, though? I, I feel that if you decline to speak, that that is going to you're you're going to now have some level of they're going to assume that you're guilty if you're not willing to just openly talk. No can do. Your right to remain silent is a right, it's a constitutional right, and better to stand on that constitutional right than to dig a big hole for yourself so that everybody can shovel dirt on you. Larry, can you think of a way that when we move over to your side that we can interweave these video clips in? Sure. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, since I have a few more points than Chance had, yep, we, yep, can, yep. we, can, we can stop. But when, when you pose that question, I would like to respond to it as well. The police may believe you did it, but it's not what the police believe that matters. It's what can be proven beyond a reasonable doubt that matters. The police can say, wait, well, we know you did it. And you can say, well, that's nice. Do you think you can prove it? <laughs> but everybody says, well, the police know you did it. That's okay that they know in their, in their mind that you did it. But they've got to be able to convince 12 in most jurisdictions beyond a reasonable doubt that you did it. And 
only thing you can do with the police is help them get to that end game of being able to force you into a plea or you're going to get convicted because of your own confession. And I would say from my experience, again, which over my entire lifetime, I've dealt with police on both sides. A good police agency will stop the interrogation when you when you invoke your uh, right to remain silent. I saw a high profile case in Colorado back in the early 80s where uh, the guy's name was Tattoo Bob Landry. And they had gone from Boulder. Uh, they had done a murder and they had uh, uh, fled Boulder to Florida. And the Boulder detectives went to Florida to, they tracked him down, uh, Landry and, and his uh, cohort, I think was named Cerezo, Debbie Cerezo. They had tracked him down to Florida. And the Boulder detectives immediately wanted to discontinue the interrogation. But the Florida people said, no, we know what we're doing here. So when they get back to Colorado, uh, because the uh, 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 the suspects had asserted their right to remain silent, Judge Neighbors in Boulder, Boulder uh, District Judge Neighbors, uh, he declined to allow those confessions and anything that they that they were able to assemble from that to be used. They were still convicted anyway. But that's the type of thing that can happen. Good police agencies will stop when you tell them that you don't want to talk. The only time we, we see this in movies and TV shows, Larry, the only time the person says, I know my rights and I plead the fifth is when you're looking at the guy that is guilty and the police are trying to do everything that they can to catch the person that we know because we can see everything because we're watching the show. But we know that the person is guilty. The innocent person never, ever asserts their right to remain silent. That's in the movies. Right. But, but that's not in real life. You may be guilty of something, but the police may have... The, the attorney needs to look at the elements of each charge the police level at you because oftentimes the elements have not been met. And when people, it tickles me to death when people, when the media will make a comment and the person was arraigned today in their, their first appearance or the arraignment or whatever they call it, and they pled not guilty. That's all you can do at your first appearance because a good judge in any jurisdiction in this country, with the exception of possibly Alabama, is not going to accept an uncounseled <laughs> guilty plea <laughs> on, on, on a serious uh, felony charge that has life-altering consequences. So that's the only, the only plea you can enter is not guilty. And even if you could enter an uncounseled guilty plea, you'd be a moron to do it because you would not know if those elements could have been met, even with all the evidence they have, it, they still may have charged you with something that on the face of the statute, you just would not be able to be convicted. And we would file a motion here under fool and fault. That, that's the name of the case. We would say, yes, my client did everything that, that was alleged, but unfortunately it doesn't meet the elements of any crime. So yes, everything that you see in this complaint facially is correct, but there's no crime committed. Uh, so the, the police will overcharge you, though. The DAs will overcharge you. There's no way that it's responsible to even contemplate a guilty plea without being counseled. But I hear that all the time. I mean, Chance, have you, have you, haven't you heard a thousand times in your life? And they made their first appearance today and they pled not guilty. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear it all the time. And, and, you know, my comment to that is this. You know, you, you, you want to help assist your counsel in your defense, but you certainly don't want to help the prosecution. So I think remaining silent goes a long, long way in, in, in accomplishing both objectives. So, well, I think on my side, I can, I can uh, uh, skip trick one because we've already hammered that quite a bit. The police are not there to help you. And so that one was, I can't talk to you unless you, you know, I can't help you if you don't talk to me. The police are not there to help you. And we've already covered that. Uh, 
I like the ones on uh, trick two. They want you to come down to the station. I just want to talk to you and hear your side of the story. This is never going to go the way you think. Because once you're in the station, you're in a custodial interrogation. Although they might tell you you're free to go. And they may very well say this is a voluntary thing. The officer is a professional interrogator. You're dealing with, with detectives that are, uh, that are trained and they're comfortable in their own backyard. There's all kind of buzzers and doors you're going to have to get out if you're at the police station. And once you get to the station, they're never going to let you just tell your side of the story. <laughs> they're going to, uh, they're going to uh, hit you with questions that they want yes or no answers. And you'll begin to realize that you're actually being asked questions where they already have certain answers that they're looking for. I mean, that's the way it goes. And you're not free to leave. But yet they will tell you that you are. Try leaving a police station and tell me when you're in an interrogation room how well that goes for you. I'm trying to not be in one to even come up and tell you anything, Larry. So, I mean, Chance, uh, do, you, do you have any observation on, on, on trick number two, come down to the station? Well, you know, uh, that's just not a good invitation at all. And it also is licensed for them to lie in order to get what they're looking for. And so, yeah, no, I'd, I'd say uh, no thanks to that one. So, okay, then they'll tell you we're off the record. And in this modern age we live in, you can rest assured that everything is being recorded. Now, they may, in some departments, have the capacity to turn on and off the body cam, but you're being recorded. And uh, so when you're dealing with the police, even if you're not being recorded, they're going to tell their side of the story, and their side of the story may not match what you actually said. And so there's no off-the-record. You can't have an off-the-record discussion with the police, so junk that idea. So, Andy, did you have a clip or two you want to play so we can set up why we're going down this path? Because we have this uh, lovely situation that developed for a young lady who talked herself into handcuffs. <laughs> well, sure. Uh, let, let's start with the first encounter. And uh, so this is a young woman who gets pulled over because they, they say, no idea if that's true or not, but the car had been reported stolen. And uh, let's just uh, dive in. This, this first one, a couple of them are like 30 seconds, but the other ones are just 10 and 15 seconds long. But this one, just to set up the situation. Hello. I stopped you because the car is coming back as an abandoned vehicle. Oh, really? Yes. Whose oh. car is it? It's my dad's car, but... Okay. Did he have it towed in like Miami? It was that? towed in Miami. Okay. I, it was, I had it towed in Miami and we had to get it back. Okay, so you were driving it in Miami? Yes. Okay. And he knows he had to get the whole thing notarized. Um, I gotta confirm it with Miami because they're the ones that entered into the system. Okay. So when a car gets towed and the owner is not present, they usually enter it as an abandoned vehicle. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So it's going in the system, so cops that run up your cop runs your tag, it's gonna pop up. As an oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I got towed like month ago so i'm surprised this is the first time yeah all right well i'm gonna have them confirm it and get that taken out of the system and i'll be right okay. back the only way that they would have known that is if they didn't have the license plate readers what do you mean by that the only way they would have known that they're not just running every license plate that goes down the road they pulled her over because one of their license plate readers uh, triggered them to pull her over and interrogate because, like I said, the license plate reader flagged that car it has has been abandoned. Okay, I didn't I didn't snap to that. Good point. Um, and uh, so the next clip that I have is it, it kind of fits with some of the things that have been said that you just shouldn't talk to them. But the second clip is 
the the second officer shows up and she's very 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 friendly with her hi what's going on not much yeah okay drive home oh yeah all right i'm just her backup so okay let's see what's going on so what happened? So where was this car? Um, it was in Miami. I went down to get a tattoo and I uh -huh. worked in front of the fire hydrant and then it was realized that I was going oh. to the fire hydrant. You don't want to mess with the boys. Yeah, and within five minutes of me being there, I was told. So we just got to sit here and wait a little bit. Okay. So she got chummy chummy where there's like, hey, what's going on? You're both saying that like already she should say, I'm not talking to you. Um, I'm going to plan on that until Chad responds. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to, okay. Yes. Well, you know, brevity is everything. If it's a common question that has nothing to do with the situation, the best to, thing to do okay. is to be brief. Use, use yes, no. Thank you. Um, do not talk. Do not talk about anything. Do not allow the police to ingratiate themselves. Do not bond with them. They're not your friend. They're not interested in you. They're interested in getting down to what they're looking for. So brevity is everything. Short answers rule. And best of all, you know, try to be as quiet as possible. And, and, and I, would, I would expand on that, Chance. Uh, I would say that I always try to direct back to the reason for the stop. So, so I would try my best in a polite way to get back to the purpose of the stop. It's an abandoned car. Okay, we've, we've addressed that. It's not abandoned. What do we need to do next to get me back on my way? And yeah. so you keep, re you keep redirecting. Isn't that kind of being an asshole, though? No, not really. It's, it's, it, it is a technique. And, and, you know, some people favor that. You know, if it's already been expressed and we already know the purpose of the stop, you know, I think that is a good way of doing it. There's other techniques. I mean, the best way to do it is, you know, what else, what else you need? And if not, I'll just wait. Um, and it's, you know, there are going to be commands and things to do, and there's going to be questions as to reasonableness. Again, brevity is everything, and redirecting is fine, but I think that, you know, you want to stay as, as close to quiet as you can. So I'm, I'm just trying to think in that where they're, hey, what's going on? And you say, well, I, I guess she could just say, well, she says, the other officer says that the car was reported abandoned, and that's why I was pulled over. And that would be the end, because that's all she knows, I guess, at this point? So, yes. Well, well, the what's going on is they're wanting her to give them information to justify additional questions. Okay. But they're presenting Which it she to does her like, do. like they're friends. Yes, because yes. it's so collegial. and. So I prefer the redirect because I consider myself a legal professional, and I'm going to I'm going to redirect them to the point of the stop, and say, you know, I'd like to get this stop over with. Is there anything else you need from me? And uh, you know, at that point, when they try to redirect me, because they're going to do the same thing, they're going to say, well, but just where were you coming from? And I'm going to say, I'm not sure that has anything to do with this. You pulled me over because my tail lights out. Do you intend to write me a citation? <laughs> and so I've redirected them from where were you coming from to my taillight was out, that's the reason why you stopped me. They may, they may give me a citation, 
But that's yeah. what, what I tend to keep doing, and I don't get pulled over very often, but I redirect them back to the purpose for the stop. And now sometimes they haven't told you the purpose for the stop. And then the only thing that if you if I'm going to say anything is, why did you pull me over, officer? We'll get to that. Well, we need to get to it pretty fast because I've <laughs> I, you've pulled me over and you've intruded on my day. So what was the reason for this engagement? And How, how not, long could they reasonably keep you on the side of the road? Well... That's a good question. Uh, not that long. If they're just detaining you, it's got to be short. Um, you know, and that's why, you know, I mean, Larry comes from a, from a, you know, from a sophisticated point of view because, you know, he understands things, you know, in a professional and experienced way, but most folks don't. And so, you know, rather than try to, you know, beat them at their own game, because each person has an object, has an object, an objective, um, <laughs> yes. you know, you, you want to, you, you want to, tr- this is why I always say brevity is everything. It, it, the less you say, the better it is. You don't want to direct them to areas that they can exploit. You just want to sit quietly and, and answer only if you're compelled to answer and it doesn't reasonably relate to anything that's going to incriminate you, which means yes, no, you know, that type of thing. Uh, I'll wait. And, and, so, you so, know, is this your, is, 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 is this your car? Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, that type of Are you a first time listener of Registry Matters? Well, then make us a part of your daily routine and subscribe today. Just search for Registry Matters through your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button and you're off to the races. You can now enjoy hours of sarcasm and snark from Andy and Larry on a weekly basis. Oh, and there's some excellent information thrown in there too. Subscribing also encourages others of you people to get on the bandwagon and become regular Registry Matters listeners. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to Registry Matters right now. Help us keep fighting and continue to say F-Y-P. Well, I can go on with tip trick four and the, while you're fixing That'll be things. fine. Okay, so another thing that the police do to make you believe your friend is I will personally speak to the judge, and Chance has already dealt with this a little bit, and the prosecutor, if you cooperate with me. That's generally a total fabrication. Uh, you know, the, they've seldom. Uh, speak to the judge. I fell for it when I was a teenager. I got my first traffic citation. The officer wanted me to go ahead and uh, sign the penalty assessment, and I was wanting to not receive the points on my driver's license. And the officer said, oh, well, if that's your only concern, I will speak to the judge. Well, you know, I'm in municipal, municipal court in Riverdale, Georgia, and I'm thinking, well, I can trust this guy. I mean, I've been taught to respect the, the police or, you know, they're friends. And he said he would speak uh, to the uh, uh, judge. I didn't know that it was not really all that proper for the officer to speak to the judge unless he was putting on testimony. So I said, oh, well, he's going to get me my, uh, 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 where I'll just get a slap on the wrist and maybe I'll pay a fine, but I won't get points. Well, he had not talked to the judge. And he didn't have the capacity to talk to the judge, as it was explained to me later. So when they tell you this, that they're going to go easy on you, that they're going to put in a good word for you. Now, we've got uh, many years of law experience here. Chance, how often has a police officer spoken to the judge or the prosecutor that's resulted in a more lenient outcome in your professional career? Well, let's see. This is 30 years later. Uh, zero? Zero. <laughs> 
So, okay, so folks, when they tell you that they're going to talk to the judge or the prosecutor, do not believe it. And they lie profusely. And the Supreme Court has upheld their right to lie decades ago, and I couldn't remember the case, but Chance so graciously either knew it or looked it up for me last night. So tell us about that case, Chance. What does the Supreme Court say that the police can do? It was actually not Oberstein versus Oberstein, but I needed something there until I figured out what the case was. Well, the the, the key rulings I cited were Fraser v. Cup, which is a 1969 case, and Oregon versus Mathiasson, which is a 1977. Basically, Supreme Court says that doesn't affect the overall outcome of anything. Uh, and and in other words, these these you know these methods that they use, even though they commonly produce false confessions and all kinds of things, are okay. They're okay. They're just they're investigative techniques. And so that gives license to them to lie profusely in order to get to um, clearing the case. So um, another trick that they'll do is they say, we already know what happened. And that ties into, you know, you should talk to us. If they truly already knew what happened, they would not need to talk to you. When they're, ta when they're telling you, we already know what happened, and they're still wanting to talk to you, they may have a theory that they've put together in their head about what may have happened, and the puzzle may look like it fits together based on what they see, but they really need you to talk to them to confirm their theory. And when you talk to them and you confirm their case theory, you've just shot yourself in the foot. So, and Andy, you can let me know when you've got tech ready and we can play those clips. I hope so. We'll try. All right. So here would be clip three. I think it's going to work. I just didn't want you to be, like, nervous. I don't know. I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> I had people to cry oh, I, all, all I the time. Oh, I cried last time. Yeah. I, I was speeding, so. Oh, okay. And, and then I just need to move right into this because we, we have started already kind of moving down this path of if you don't keep your mouth shut, then you start revealing secrets about what, like, they may be able to surfboard their way in and completely trash you. So here's where things go south. So for those listening, she starts kind of noodling around in her purse a little bit. God, why did it cut the clip off? Um, and uh, the officer notices it. And from there, she's going to ask if she can search her car. And I'm going to go back to that. Uh, that was clip four. So let's try this again. So like I said, so she starts kind of futzing around in her purse. There's a clip on the screen telling if that's what she's question, doing. Right? And so she asks if she could search the car. She's like, sure, no problem. And then the girl gets out of the car. Okay. Which, chance, chance. Tell people what they should say specifically when they say, do you mind if I search the car? Yeah, yeah I, I think the answer is clearly no. Um, no, thank you. And I know a lot of people say get a warrant, but that, that's kind of confrontational. It's just no thank you. And remember, in this particular clip, the, the officer already has her face in the window, and everything you do and say is in plain view, plain smell, and everything else. The officer has a right to be where they're at, okay? So you have to take that in consideration as you speak and as you move. But the, the answer clearly is no thank you. Uh, like just say no thank you pound sand have a nice day no the 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 answer is uh no i no 
no, I do not consent to a search. This is very easy or, or, or just no. No, and, and I like I like the, the clear, more definitive no, because they're asking you for consent and you're not gonna give your consent. So the answer is no. And Doesn't course, that then unleash the the dogs of hell on you of them getting search dogs and SWAT teams? Well, it may and it may not, depending on what they hear, what they see, and what they smell at that window. Um, but one thing's for sure, if they don't have enough to go on, it precludes a search. And you got to kind of roll the dice on that, because if you start to do things other than that, in other words, if you consent, hey, the whole car's game, including the trunk. So uh, no, the answer is no. And you know, they may bear down on you. They may they may try to intimidate you. And they may do a, a hundred different things. But the best thing you can do for yourself is just say no and be quiet. You were going to say, Larry, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Oh, it's, it's okay. Well, this is, it has the potential to escalate, as Chance said. They will tell you these things like, uh, you know, well, we're going to call the canine. And now... As a legal professional, I'm going to say, well, I hope you at least have reasonable, articulable suspicion to do that. Now, I would not advise you to do that. Folks, listen carefully. I'm telling you this is what I would do because I know what I'm doing. And I would say, well, I hope you can articulate some suspicion for doing that. That's reasonable. But once you say, yes, you, know, you go ahead, she set herself up for a world of hurt that comes crashing down on her. And uh, do you want to go to the next clip or you want me to go to my next point? Uh, let's see. So they start asking her questions. Can you, the, the thing that they ask her is if she has a medical marijuana card, can you, can you weave what you're going to say in with that? No, go ahead. Okay. Do you have a medical marijuana card? I do not. No. Do you ever smoke weed? I have. How long have you been since you smoked weed? Um, I smoked weed yesterday. Did you? You don't use it in your vape, do you? No, I don't. You, When's the last oh time you smoked? God. Yesterday. Okay. Yeah. So when oh, when, yeah. You, when you tell a police officer you smoked weed yesterday, the officer would be reasonable. It would be a reasonable uh, proposition for the officer to think, well, maybe if they smoked it yesterday, they just might be in possession of some. I mean, right. you've just given them some reasonable, articulable suspicion that you might be carrying contraband. So big screw up, girl. Big screw up. So, uh, it's like okay so now they're getting somewhere and it, it only goes downhill from here it does this one is super quick she read anything or no no and what is she going to be read oh nobody well, well nobody from miranda rights of course. yes her miranda rights, her miranda uh, rights. Th that's that seems like that's going like nuclear Oh yeah. Okay. okay. You have another one? I do. I have I have 13 total. We're we're approaching number 7. Okay. And uh so this will be number 7. I did have a weed. You have a weed pen. So she said she has a weed pen in the car. Okay. She's digging oh, the hole very deep here. Uh and then and then this is I think where everything goes really off the rails. Yeah, she said she has a marijuana pen in there. Hot fake IDs, and you have fake IDs. <laughs> how, now, how, now, how fun! How fun! Now, now for the for the audience to, to understand, she told them that they could search. Now her purse was in the car, 
and they found the fake IDs, which I'm assuming is at least a, a high misdemeanor or a felony in Florida. They so say it's now, a felony. So now she's got fake ID that she gave them permission to find, and she's got uh, admission that she uses dope, and a strong probability they're going to find dope in the car. So what do you think they're going to do next? And say, well, you know, you've been kind of cooperative. We think we'll let you go now. Yeah. That, or she's hoping that before they search that they somehow magically disappear. Well, where would possible? they go? Where would they I go? I don't know, but that's what, that's what people think. It's like, maybe they won't find them. Please don't find them. So, maybe uh, they, was maybe eight, she I was think. thinking, maybe she was thinking, well, that, you know what? They like me. They like me yes. because I've cooperated. And you know uh -huh. what? They're going to use their discretion to say, ah, you know, we could do this, but we're not. You know, we'll just keep these things and you be on your way. But that's just not going to happen. There were other well, parts uh, that I clipped out where they were asking her about her nails and she has like some eyelash brushes and all this stuff. They were being totally like, forgive me for this way this is going to sound, but they were being like girly girly with her. You know, they yeah. were going to start swapping makeup secrets, perhaps. Um, all right. So that she admitted to the those things. All right. And <laughs> this is more fun. Oh, you had these made up. They were ordered. So you had them made up. Um, not me personally, but. You mean not you personally? I, my friend. Mm -hmm. You asked your friend? Like, people don't usually just. No, I know, them. yeah. Okay, it, like I was just saying I didn't physically make the order. Yes. Yeah, you, you went there yes. and asked if I had them made. You got three of them? No, there's just only. There's only five. She held the line. There's only those three. She held the line. <laughs> Alrighty. So. Uh, then the next one is she, they're going to ask about uh, testing the vape pen. Do you have a testing? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, so, <laughs> and then um, I'm going to do this one first. It's, it's uh, chronologically out of order. Where did you get it from? Um, one of my friends. Your friend ordered, like, bought it, your friend bought it for you? Uh, yes, I don't know. Sounds like your friends do a lot for you. They, they probably shouldn't keep it. Yeah. I know, I thought. It's already purple. Oh, yeah. It's positive. Oh. You dope experts out there know what purple means. I'm, I'm assuming it's instantly, like, super potent, strong, whatever it's testing positive or whatever so well in, in this uh, one larry go ahead i'm sorry i was gonna say uh, 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 i want to get her to the handcuffs because that's where this t totally ends up at yeah it's just well, a couple away um well, one thing one thing andy and, and and you know which sticks out at me and, and that is that she's trying to help herself because she's misunderstanding the process which most people yes. do because they get rattled and she's thinking that you know if she uses the some other dude did it defense and she's uh -huh. just holding she's going to wiggle out of this thing and this is what we were talking about this is how you start to dig and dig deep i completely agree all right so this rolls back just like 10 or 20 seconds of time and uh anyway so what was the deal with those um they were in my purse no, she's asking I, about I, the fake ideas I get the obvious but what's the uh i guess what's the like what are they for 
Um, I don't know. I have them. My friends got them because we're all in college. And they want me to come and visit them in college. How old are you? I'm 20. I'm going to be 21. Six months. Five months. <laughs> Not relevant. <laughs> so. Um, and then, yeah, okay, so this is, this is the, uh, the finale. Um, is your phone? It's a felony to be in possession of fraudulent driver's licenses and the, and the okay. marijuana-based gun, okay? <laughs> so, unfortunately, I do have to place you under arrest. <laughs> and I don't want to, like, drag her through the mud that bad. Uh, we are not laughing at you. I, I apologize for all of this. It's just, it's, you, it's an example being used. And, uh, but they put her in handcuffs. Can I tell you the, uh, the conclusion though, Larry? Sorry. I don't know if you watched that far of the, of the video that they, she got, I, they, they released her out and she had like 75 hours of community service and no, I think they dropped it down and she just had to do that part. So, well, it's a tragedy, and the one thing I'm going to skip a couple of my tips and tricks that police use. We could get a search warrant in a few minutes. They very well may be able to get a search warrant, but they may not be able to. But what it does is it puts them in a more difficult position because they've got to be right. When they when they intrude on a prosecutor and they call and say, I got this 20-year-old college student and I want you to I want you to hear the facts, and they dictate them. I'm sure they do the same thing in California, they dictate what they've got. And the prosecutor will say, yes, there's enough here. You know, I'll sign this warrant, you know, but they may or may not be able to get the warrant. But the, the right answer is, well, I, you know, you've got a job to do and I can understand that. And I'll just patiently wait. But no, I'm not going to consent to search. And you'll just have to go forward with your probable cause and try to get the warrant. I mean, you might not want to put it in quite that legalese, but you just tell them, no, sorry, I, I'm still not going to consent. And Chance, do you have any problem with that before we move on? No, I think that's just absolutely the correct way to respond. So, um, and and uh, I'll say that in closing, for my part of this, you really create real problems for your attorney when you talk to the police, because you put us in a position on this side. My boss comes to me and says, tells me to go through this case and write a suppression motion. And I look at it and I say, well, this is a college girl. She reads and understands the English language perfectly. She's articulate. There's no language barrier. The video, I've watched the whole thing. I see nothing that would suggest that, that, that there's any basis for a suppression here. You know, well, uh, what are we going to tell the client? Well, we're going to tell the client we're going to lose this. And when we look, go make this motion to suppress all this stuff and we lose it, the sweetheart deal is going to go out the, way, out the window because the prosecutor is not going to like to have to respond to the warrant to the, uh, for the motion to suppress. Uh, the fruits of the uh, search. And so when you do that to us, we don't have anything to work with because you've sealed your fate. A 30-year chance, do uh, you see that the same way? Same way. And that, and that is why uh, the number one reason that I've, I, I've started with was talking to police never helps you, nor does it help your attorney. But, you know, underline that first reason, never helps you. And, you know, that's the best thing to remember in these situations. So well, I think we need to have some sort of rudimentary dialogue, back and forth coaching of they're going to try and twist and poke and prod and get you to say more than, you know, we, we need to internalize and memorize some kind of script of how we politely hold the line and say, no, I'm not talking to you any more than what, it, what have you stopped me for? Okay. They say the car was uh, abandoned. 
how do we not ever get out of that? Like, we would just have to go through and have practices, is all I'm getting at, and not here, not now. We're already 45 minutes into this. So, uh, yeah, well, the, the abandoned car is where I would have kept directing them back to. You know, it's not abandoned. Sure. It's, my, it's my dad's car. Is there anything else? <laughs> so, yeah. But she wanted to be nice to the police because, like your son, yep. she believes that the police were there to help her. She probably grew up middle class, and that's what was drilled in her head. Uh, Chance, you're going to be here with us next week. Can we uh, move this question to next episode? Because I want to get to the Alabama case. Is that okay? We, a- we absolutely can. We absolutely All right. can. So uh, the person who submitted this, Sylvia, we're going to take this up with Chance next week because he's going to come back and we're going to do some good stuff that people are going to be really happy about. I've got I've got some uh, agenda for next week that I want to cover in terms of registration removal and how the process works. And he's going to be talking about how the California process works in real life. So, okay, Andy, it's yours now to talk about Alabama. Very good. Um, so you have this case in here from U.S. District for Middle District, Alabama. It's a victory for PFRs with children, childrens, as uh, I like to call them. The case is Bruce Henry versus Ron Abernathy. It was just released a couple days ago. The opening paragraph states, the court is tasked in part with weighing fundamental rights accompanying parenthood against the state's interest in protecting the health and safety of minors. This is the challenge that came about because Alabama's PFR registration statute prohibits a PFR from residing with his or her own biological childrens. I know you're not a big fan about how the governor and the government is over there in Alabama, but now that you've read this, what is your current opinion? Run by the strangest collection of misfits Looney Tunes since the advent of the Third Reich. (laughs) And now, can you set this up for us, please? Sure. The, uh, Mr. Henry currently resides in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and in 2013, he pled guilty of one count of possession of CP in the federal system. No need for the statutory citation. And he was released from prison in June of 2018 and registered as PFR. Henry later married, and on August 4th, 2021, he welcomed a son into the world. His conviction alone prevents him from residing or conducting an overnight visit with his son until his son reaches age 18, and that's appropriately cited in Alabama Code, section 15-20A11D, subsection 4, for anybody who wants to go look it up. According to the court, Alabama's ASORCNA, A-S-O-R-C-N-A, is the most comprehensive and debilitating sex offender scheme in the nation, citing McGuire versus Marshall section. I can't read all those letters. It's the same thing that you said before. Yes, it's the same thing. Um, all those letters and numbers prohibits adult PFRs convicted of a sex offense, sex offense involving a child from conducting overnight visits or residing with any minor, including their own children. But it permits, this is so nice of them, Larry, but it permits qualifying adult offenders four count them four hours per day of unfettered, unsupervised access to a minor between the hours of 6 a.m. and 10.30 p.m. on two but not three consecutive days at a time and not more than nine days total in a month. How about that? Well, it might be worthwhile to point out that reside is further defined in the statute. The term reside includes, but it's not limited to spending more than four hours a day at the place or on three or more consecutive days, spending uh, more than four hours a day in a place on 10 or more aggregate days in a calendar month 
or spending any amount of time God, this is great stuff. <laughs> Coupled with statements or actions that indicate an intent to live at the place or remain at the place or periods specified in that sentence that we did not read. But yes, it's a very, very debilitating restriction on parental involvement if you're on the PFR list. Now, I got to tell you, there's this thing called orbital mechanics, and they need supercomputers to actually calculate where the planets are going to be, Larry. That would be simpler than figuring out when you're allowed to visit your children's. Well, can you admit that that language is funny? Oh my God, that's ridiculous. Uh, yes, Larry, that's funny. I thought we had a New Year's resolution. We do. I'm hoping that you'll realize things are funny. <sighs> no. All right. The state argued that Henry cannot, sh cannot show he possesses, nor that the statute burdens a fundamental right of a person convicted of a sexual offense involving a child to reside with a minor child. The court stated, the state misreads 11th Circuit precedent and conflates the identification of the right at issue with the tailoring analysis. Henry is correct that the fundamental right at issue here is the care, custody, and control of his son. More specifically, that fundamental rights guarantee that a parent may reside with his child. And that right is undoubtedly deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition. Well, before I commend the court for doing a great job, what I think is ironic about this, now, conservatives, I know email is going to come uh, flowing in, but these are the same people who claim that they believe that only parents should make critical decisions for their children and that the government should not be meddling in family affairs. You know, these are the people who espouse that on the conservative side of the aisle. And amazingly, they forgot all about what they claimed that they believe when they crafted this statute to basically cut one parent completely out of raising the child. But anyway, the court did a great job on this case. I'm noting some highlights from the opinion. The fundamental, you should read this because you read so much better than me. So, uh, so yeah, <laughs> okay, go ahead, go ahead and read this because I was going to have it for a chance, but he, he didn't feel comfortable because this case was sprung at the last minute. So, the, the fundamental right of parents in the care, custody, and control of their children's is perhaps the oldest and fundamental liberty interest recognized by the Supreme Court. Troxel versus Granville, uh, 530 U.S. 50, 57, 65 from 2000. This primary role of the parents in the upbringing of their children is now established beyond debate as an enduring American tradition. Stanley versus Illinois from 1972, explaining that the right to raise one's children has been deemed essential and that the custody, care, and nurture of the child resides first in the parents. The citations omitted, but that's Prince versus Massachusetts from 1944. It is cardinal with us that the custody care and nurture of the child reside first in the parents whose primary function and freedom include preparation for obligations the state can neither supply nor hinder and that's from pierce versus society of sisters from 1925 back with your people in your ute larry holding the liberty of parents and guardians includes the right to direct the upbringing and education of children under their control the child is not the mere creature of the state. Those who nurture him and direct his destiny have the right, coupled with the high duty, to recognize and prepare him for additional obligations. Meyer versus Nebraska in 1923, 
holding that the liberty protected by the Due Process Clause includes the right of parents to establish a home and bring up children and to control the education of their own. Now, further along, Larry, the 11th Circuit said, in order to trigger substantive due process protection, the statute must either directly or unduly burden the fundamental rights claimed by the plaintiffs. That's from Doe versus Moore, and uh, that's from 2005. The state argued that Henry lacked a viable claim based on Moore. So what did the court think of that? Not in your opinion, reading from it what it says, not your opinion. Okay, well, you know, that was a long string citation. And uh, when when something gets, and I even cut out some of the string citation, but man, this was, uh, they had a lot of stuff backing up on, on why the parents should not be cut out of the child's life. But the court said Henry's complaint does not suffer the same infirmity as in Moore. He specifically invokes his 14th Amendment right to parent to the care and custody and control of his son and seeks to vindicate that rights guarantee of a parent's ability to reside and stay overnight in the same location with his child, end of quote. And then the court said the overbreath of section 15-20A11D subsection 4 is breathtaking. It commands that no adult PFR who has been convicted of any sex offense involving a child may reside or conduct at overnight with a minor. It applies to any sex offense involving a child, including CP possession. It applies for life, no exceptions, no ability to petition for appeal, no relief, no ability for a parent to ask for relief by showing that he bears no risk of harm to his or her child. And they noted that no other state has crafted or enacted such a broad, unyielding rule in this context. Now, do you understand why I say that they're so crazy in Alabama? (laughs) The one thing I will add, so is this individual off of supervision and just quote unquote, just on the registry, not just on a website, but actually registering? Yes, as I understand it, uh, his supervision may be over with, but even if the supervision isn't over with, that's not relevant for the analysis of the statute because this is not a supervision requirement, this is a statutory imposition. So whether or not he's on supervision doesn't really matter. Well, the reason why I'm asking is because Georgia has that as one of their special conditions of probation that you can't live with any minor, including your children. Uh, well, in the in a supervised setting, you have some additional latitude of conditions. They have to be reasonably related to the offense that the person's under supervision for. They have to be narrowly tailored not to deprive the person of, of uh, unnecessarily of liberty. And that's where the probation authorities break down. When they put these blanket restrictions on that just apply to everyone, those could be, in my opinion, shot down fairly easily because <laughs> there, there's been no analysis of the individual case. Probation and supervision, particularly probation, not so much parole, but probation is supposed to be rehabilitated. And it's supposed right. to deprive you of no more liberty than is reasonably necessary. And it has to be related. To, to something. They, they can't just pull stuff out of thin air and say that, you know, this is applied to you, particularly when it's getting into such a liberty as the right to parent your child. So I would say the people in Georgia, if that's a standard condition, that would be ripe for the uh, for the court to review. And I would be delighted to hear what Chance thinks of that. Well, because well, you, you remember, I, go, go Chance, I, would agree, I have a story I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And, and you know, California, you know, has whooped child. Uh, which is a case that says substantially the same when you're speaking in terms of conditions of parole or probation. But I would agree with that. 
I know I shared this with you, Larry, and I probably have shared it here, but it was, it was the first year that I was off. It was only like six months uh, out of the inside, so to speak. And I was going to visit where the mother of my kid is, and obviously kid, for Thanksgiving or something like that, or Christmas, whichever it was. And I was getting a motion to modify my uh, terms of probation so that I could come visit them. But I had to do that. I had to get a sentence modification so that I could do that. Yeah, you you omit the funny part of the story. She I know, I know. There's another you're, part you're, of there where my, so my attorney sent me on a dummy mission and she gave me the order to get the judge to sign, but under no circumstances should the person involved in the case be going to visit the judge. If I were like a normal runner, not representing myself, <laughs> I guess it would have been okay. Well, but so. she sent me down there representing myself on behalf of her or something like that. Well, and the judge's secretary looks at me, she goes, is this you? And I said, yes. And then, I mean, I don't know what's going on. I'm just sitting in a chair. I'm dressed in khakis and a polo shirt. I, I don't know what's happening. And I, I mean, she picks up the phone. I don't know what's happening. She must have pressed a panic button under the desk or something. This woman that's like eight feet tall with big arms comes. She said, come with me. And they start walking down the hall uh, to the judge's chambers away from them, I should say. And there's a cop a hundred feet away from me charging towards me down the hallway. And he's just freaking hauling ass towards me. And I was like, is he coming for me? And she says, yes. I didn't do anything. I was there on behalf, like whatever. Anyway, so then I've got seven cops surrounding me, like ready to just jump on me. Like the guy that was in Monsters, Inc. that came out with the sock on his back. And there are all these people that are about to just jump on me and pound me into the sand. And everything went fine. The guy was a musician, the, the sergeant at arms or whatever at the courthouse. He was a musician. I was asking him about guitars and stuff. Next thing I know, he took it to the judge and the judge signed it and out I walked. So, well, you know, I've run dozens, if not hundreds of documents to judicial chambers and sat and waited oftentimes, sometimes, and even had a word with the judge if they knew me personally. But, you know, that was not a very wise decision for your attorney <laughs> to send you down as the runner. God. That went poorly. I was freaking the F out. Yeah. So middle Georgia. Yep. Well, they've, they've clamped yeah. down security so much here in the recent years that now we don't do that anymore. Now we leave them in boxes for, yep. for the judge. And then you come back and pick it up and hope it's in the box and you make re, re, uh, return trips if it's not in the box, but we don't get to sit in the judge's uh, outer office and sometimes be invited in while the judge is looking at things like we used to. Yep. I can understand that because it was in Georgia where the guy was in front of the judge and grabbed one of the, the bailiff's guns and started shooting people in the courtroom and ran out. Yep. That's where it was in Fulton County Courthouse there. T T T Michaels or something like that. I can't remember the dude's name. Yep. So. Anywho. Oh, so, so Andy, your, your, your attorney swatted you, I guess, huh? God, that's see, like, yeah, she says, Hey, go do this. <laughs> <laughs> I got one for him. You just wait. Good oh. grief, man. But yeah, I was on a plane that afternoon or the next day. I mean, it was like imminent and I needed this like today. So she said, well, and I'm like, if there's anything I can do to assist in this and help out, I don't know what that means, but I offered it. She says, well, yeah, that would make my life a lot easier. And she just sends me off on a dummy mission. So, well, uh, so as we wrap up, folks, Chance is going to be back next week, right? You're going to talk about removing from uh, the removal process and, and the clients you've had removed, some of them not by name, but the particularities of how one gets off the registry in California. Absolutely. So, Fantastic. Can't wait to have you back. People in chat are saying that they are excited to have you back as well. 
All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. So, well, it's been a blast. It really has. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Chance, and uh, look forward to seeing you on the next week. And uh, so everybody, if you head over to registrymatters.co, you can find the show notes to the podcast. And uh, re- if you want to leave voicemail, God, nobody has called in forever. We're going to have to pay somebody to call Larry. 747-227-4477. And if you want to email me, I will likely forward it to Larry. And that's registrymatterscast at gmail.com. And thank you to all of the patrons that support us at patreon.com slash registry matters for just a dollar a month. You can go back and listen to that uh, episode 194 or five with the guy that flew away in the helicopter. And uh, that's all I got, Larry and Chance. Thank you so very much for joining me on this Saturday afternoon and evening and night and all that stuff. And we'll talk to you soon. Have a great night. You too. Thank you. You've been listening to FYP.